RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me as usual is Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. And Mike. Hey, Dusty. What's up? Doing really well. So we, we've kind of stopped talking about the fact that we're recording in in Brian's nice RFC studios where the equipment is ever-changing, ever-upgraded. Yeah. Here in a week or two, I'm going to have my dream mic processor. My, not Mike Goodman processor, but microphone processor that I've wanted for 10 years. It, it's like it's like it's a living organism, and we're outside of its time bubble, just watching it evolve. Yeah, and and super super high speed. But here's the thing: like, I don't blow my money on stupid stuff. Like, we're never going to have like TLM one hundred three mics. We're never going to spend eight hundred dollars a microphone. You know why? Because this gets saved down to like one hundred twenty eight kbps. It's not worth the. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, today we are talking about a game that we have referred to, um, perhaps quite metagamey, uh, as the Geomorphic Dungeon. Do you guys remember this game? Yes. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about doing this one for a while. We have. We've talked in and around it. So uh, I think episode three was the prison break, which took place immediately after this Geomorphic Dungeon. Um, I'm, I was really proud of this adventure. It took two sessions to run. This was probably, aside from Tomb of Horrors, which, which we sort of gamed anyway, but this was our last true dungeon crawl. Yeah. Oh, wow. It yeah, was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Aside from Tomb of Horrors, which, yeah. which I almost don't count. Tomb of Horrors feels like a game that, that, that took place, I don't know. Outside of the realm of what we normally do. Yeah. yeah we, we had fun with it, but we didn't take it seriously. This was a game that we took seriously. This was back when, as far as we were concerned, our our campaign was just as serious as a heart attack. Yep. So, let's go ahead and do our usual thing and rate the game. So, right out of the gate, let's rate it and then give our elevator pitch. So, Brian, scale of uh, 1 to 10. I'll say a 6.5. Mike? I'll go ahead and go 8, and I'm going to say that my elevator pitch on this was it was nice to have a dungeon crawl mechanic where you could reveal pieces of the dungeon like in a surprise way right so i think i think some of the things we always get hung up on dungeon calls previously is we've got this big huge map and i can see the whole big huge map and so i can start thinking in my head it's like oh what might be in that room oh what does that room mean oh there's a giant pit in the middle of that room maybe we try to avoid that i for me i think it's one of those things where you know our beloved friend jason was there and Jason just doesn't like RPGs, and, you know, I love Jason, but I don't necessarily need to RPG with Jason. I think that's something that we can do separately. Yeah, we, we learned we learned to be okay with that. Yeah. All right, so the setup for this game. So we'll, we'll get to the geomorphic bit in, 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 in a second. So if you're asking what's geomorphic, we're going we're gonna to get there. But first of all, the setup. This game was the third game, the third simultaneous game that took place in our... Nintir Vale universe. There was my long-running campaign. Then, Mike, there was your campaign, which which happened for a couple of sessions. Yep. But those PCs were in and around Nintir Vale and heard rumors of our more powerful main PCs. 
And then finally, this game. This game was my last-ditch effort to kind of breathe life back into the Nintendo Vale campaign. So the setup for this was that you were you were three, frankly, ne'er-do-wells. You guys were, were, were good, good-aligned players, paladins, clerics, um, you know, fighters with noble backgrounds. You guys were, were really goody-two-shoes type characters for the first campaign. And then, Mike, in your campaign, we were uh, a little more on the fringes, but still pretty darn goody two shoes yep and this one you guys were just out and out scoundrels yeah so being scoundrels you were forced together by the lord of winterhaven who basically had you guys captured and pressed you into service to go into some catacombs heretofore undiscovered catacombs that uh, were revealed under the under the city where a, a, a young a young boy's father had been taken so this idea that you're Four strangers forced together, forced to work together, and that being the way we got the group together. Was that fun to play, or or was it just annoying to not play a group of friends? I think it worked. I I think I probably liked that a little better than let's take half an hour at the beginning to try and describe our relationships or make up our relationships with all the other players and and dynamics between them. I kind of like that that it was blank slates and we could we could write that story as it goes with our experiences as one with one another. I never like blank slates like that. It's I I you know I I love it like four games in. I, obviously this isn't after the prison break did we play these characters again? We didn't. No. Yeah. No. So uh, like whenever we start a campaign and we're new characters and you know we come together and we didn't know each other or whatever, we learn to know each other. We learn each other. We you know, we learn what we like, what ticks, what doesn't. Um, I'm awkward when it comes to meeting people anyway, and I'm awkward at pretending to meet people. So for me, for me, it's just easier if, you know, I already know. Like, it's kind of like if one of you guys had a cat in the game, I would have been talking to the cat. So do you do you like better where the individual player has to be creative and have some forethought into how we know each other as characters or do you like it better where the GM just tells us how we know each other? Um, good question. You know, I think whenever it, I don't think it matters. I think when I'm playing a new character that I haven't felt out yet, it feels awkward anyway, either way, mm. like going back to the, our pathfinder, our pathfinder game. Um, it took me a while to really feel the character Ezrin that I played and I never really played him like he was written um, yeah. you know, Dusty had made some good points about his character stats and like, oh, I'm going to basically play him like he, it's Revenge of the Nerds, basically. So, yeah, it just takes me a while to fill out a new character. So no matter what, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. So this way, at least your goals were aligned. So even though you didn't know each other. Yeah. You know, you, your four scoundrels round up out, rounded up out of the local tavern and forced down into these catacombs, basically as cannon fodder. So you could scout out what was happening for the actual guards. That was the premise. None of you were happy about this. You were going to escape at any opportunity. But to me, that makes it a true dungeon crawl. You know, it, 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 you're, you're dropped into this dungeon. You can't go out the way you came in because there's guards out there who very much want you to scout the place out. And will t- will not not going to take no for an answer. So your only way out is through. So that's the setup. Let's talk about the geomorphic mechanics. So before I describe the gimmick to the listeners, 
did the gimmick work? What did you guys think of the gimmick? I liked it. Uh, I kind of like I said at the beginning. I think that helped the the dungeon feel a little more fresh, a little more surprising. Yeah, it's kind of more like playing a video game. So, yeah, I mean, w- when you are on a map, the GM can choose to include or exclude whatever is coming ahead and lay them out on the on the map, um, and you can see it or you don't. But this adds another level of another veil that sort of hides what's coming you know ahead and i i I like that i thought that was pretty cool i think it's i think it's interesting to to note and kind of keep in mind that that this type of dungeon either requires that pre-made product or requires some sort of 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 massive ahead prep time so so this takes me back to the campaign i ran where i had to done something similar to this but it involved me cutting out pieces out of the gaming paper to keep that secret to pull out pieces as you guys explore the dungeon. So I had the advantage, Mike, that I was making it up as I went along. Not not at the table, mm. but during at prep time. Yeah. You did that with Cobalt Hall, right? which was the dungeon out of the 4E Dungeon Master's Guide. Yep. With me, I got to do it just... So, so here's the story, folks. I had every box of Dungeon Command... And Dungeon Command was were, were these really awesome boxes that Wizards put out, you know, around around 2013, 2012, 2014. I'm probably getting the, the years slightly wrong, but that rough time period, where every box had 12 pre-painted minis, and the the paint jobs were pretty darn good. But not only that, every box also had some dungeon tiles, and not dungeon tiles like just the standard dungeon tiles that you buy, but dungeon tiles specifically designed to be one interlocking and two geomorphic. And what do I mean by geomorphic? The tiles were meant to be combined um, in almost any configuration and still make a dungeon. And you can make different dungeons out of the tiles, but every tile had, had, you know, three or, or four, I think mostly three, three areas where you could, you know, t- attach another tile to build out this dungeon. And the idea of Dungeon Command, it was a miniatures skirmish game where two factions, you know, the orcs and the goblins would duke it out. The ghosts and goblins. Ghosts and goblins, yes. <laughs> the, 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 you know, the orcs and goblins would, would duke it out on, on, on whatever map that came with those boxes. Since I had all five boxes, I had all of these 8x8 eight eight interlocking geomorphic tiles. So I took those tiles and... I laid them all out, and, and I took an index card and, and, and sticky taped it to each tile. And I just took an index card, and I said, okay, on this tile, here's what's happening. On this tile, here are the monsters, or here's the trap, or here's the sitch. And then I, I stole the idea from the adventure board games of shuffling the tiles. And I had two kinds of tiles. I had a deck of tiles that you had to get through to get through the adventure, just like the adventure system board games, like like the, like the Castle Ravenloft board game or... or the Legend of Drist board game, or the Wrath of a Shardalon. Um, just like those, I had, I had this deck of, of dungeon tiles that you had to get through, but I had another deck off to the side of the little, you know, the, the big ones are 8x8, eight eight, the little ones are 4x8, and the little ones always resulted in that corridor terminated. It ended. And those had a very high risk-reward. Like, you were either, I, I told you guys, flat out, we, we made this a, a total game. Jason has told us in the past that he likes to play RPGs emphasis on the G. I heavily emphasize the G. So I told you guys, okay, here's the tiles that you have to get through to get out. And here are the tiles 
that either result in a fantastic reward or a fantastic risk. And whenever you put a new tile down, you tell me which one you want, which stack I should draw from. Um, and well, let's let's stop there. Before I talk about the end game, how this worked in game, with just that setup, is there anything that you guys want to add to that setup or, or how you thought of it? So I really like the idea of a game inside of an RPG. Even though it, this is part of the RPG, I go back to, I don't play a lot of RPGs, but video games, but I'm thinking back to the one that I thoroughly loved, which was uh, Dragon Quest V. And in that game, there's a casino. And I can go and I can um, basically play casino games and I can win cool stuff that I can use in my adventure. In fact, to get some of the best stuff, you have to do that. I could really see something like this being a lot of fun in a campaign. But anytime it's like something this wasn't intended to be a one-shot, and it wasn't a one-shot because we did revisit the characters, but something like this in a game where I can really get use out of that stuff later on beyond just that day, uh, I, I, that could be very appealing. I would agree with that. So how about those, those high-risk, high-reward um, terminal point rooms? That, that would that would seal off a corridor, but you always had more corridors to add on to. The, those high-risk, high-reward rooms, did that add to the game, or was that decision just way too metagamey? I'd say it added to the game. It, I mean, it definitely kind of added a twist to just the regular dungeon crawl, because, I mean, otherwise a regular dungeon crawl is just like, hey, get to the end of the dungeon. This added a little bit of a, a sense of controlling our own destiny and a little bit of, you know, exactly risk versus reward. Do you recall how many times we elected to do that, to go through those off topic? As I recall, somebody, Michael, he's looking at me, was a completionist and, yeah. and wanted to get through every single tile, including all of the risk reward okay, tiles. I'll be honest with you. Think, I mean, again, this was a while ago. Um, that was what I remember most about the game was the fact that we we did that, and um, I very fondly remember that aspect of the game. That was that actually. I would say that's probably what made this game. I think that's why it was also two two sessions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, two good sessions though. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The risk reward tiles. Sometimes you got, you know, frankly, I didn't let you rest. Yeah. The biggest reward that pressed you to choose a risk or reward tile was that a lot of those rooms just just because of the way. So this is a classic case, those at home, of I had the materials and I built the game around the materials, and those games always work out so much better. Well, in the materials, in those tiles as they were, a lot of those rooms, the 4 by 8 rooms, were closed off. Like they had a door that you could seal. So what I sold to the guys was, hey, you can bang out a short rest or a long rest in one of these rooms if you choose a, a, a risk-reward room. But you were also trying to save that kid's dad. And I told you flat out, you've got to balance how much you want to take short rests or even, dare I say, a long rest versus him being alive when you find him. Yep. So there were a lot of decision points going on here where you guys needed a short rest, needed a long rest. Were you willing to invest it? And were you willing to face the possibility of drawing a tile with two Umber Hulks instead of a room that you can rest in? Anyway... So how did this mechanic work in-game? In-game, going from tile to tile, going from 8x8 from, from eight eight tile to 8x8 eight eight tile, the way I explained it was these were abandoned catacombs under the city. What I love about so many of the D&D settings 
is that these are civilizations on top of civilizations on top of civilizations. Well, constantly around you, remember I, I played for a while on my phone, I had a soundboard, the sound of rushing water. Because you were underground, you could hear this far off stream. So, you know, the, the guys on the next tile, the bad guys on the next tile can't hear you. They can't hear what's going on. There's this constant roar of water. Yeah. And then also I described it of whenever the two tiles came together, there was there were there were vines and weeds, um, you know, that cobwebs, whatever, that had grown up between the tiles. So you actually had to to breach that that plane, that 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 doorway to be able to even see the next tile and for that tile to be able to see you. Metagamey, sure. Um, but I tried to do it actually to increase immersion, to give an excuse for yeah. How can you have this knockdown drag out fight on this tile and then lay down a new tile and discover, you know, and frankly, the bad guys in this game were drow. The, this, this whole game was built around the Underdark working their way up into these catacombs and they're about to invade Winterhaven. That's what you guys discovered. So this whole game is about umber hulks and spiders and driders and drow. And that's what you guys fought this whole time. So how can you have this knockdown drag out fight on one tile and then on the next tile, you know, this drow hanging out or these couple of drow hanging out looking at the looking at the the bob relief murals on the wall don't hear it or didn't hear it. That was my way to explain that. So it was, it was trying to increase immersion and increase the believability there, but still have a true dad in the world dungeon crawl. Although I told you guys the mechanic that if someone fleed off a tile, they would bring the next tile's monsters down on you. Yeah. I really loved the uh, soundboard, by the way. Um, have you used that again? No, I didn't because we turned it off. Like, both sessions, I started out with the rushing water sound just to create that atmosphere. And pretty quickly, you guys were like, all right, we get it. So, Can you turn that <laughs> off? I, I mean, I love the concept. So, you know what? It might actually be fun to build out a pretty complete, complete in quotes, uh, soundboard for use uh, in in further adventures because I think that's really cool. There's actually a great app for that that I paid for. I don't have it installed anymore, but I think it's just called Fantasy Soundboard. So I was going to say that's actually a, uh, a feature of Roll20 if we start to think about using Roll20 again after after our uh, L5R game with, uh, with Tanner. Um, it has a place where you can basically put sound files, music files, and cue them off in order. So, like, if you if you scene wipe to uh, to another board or to another graphic or to to some scene, you can you can trigger that to play at the beginning of that scene. I mean, I like that, and I mean, if you're going to go ahead and do like the board in Roll Twenty anyway, I mean, I why not invest that time? But if you're not, you know, right. just why not use a soundboard app? Yeah, yeah. Or if, if we're playing remotely on Discord, you might just have to find a way to get it into the computer audio. That's easy. Yeah, it's easy. So a two-session dungeon crawl. Too much? Just enough? No, I think it worked out well. Again, I think if, if we were willing to put two sessions in it to complete this entire dungeon, that means it was a good dungeon. We We weren't looking to just get out as soon as possible. We wanted to explore the content you had you had created for us. So, at this point, do we tell the funny story about the uh, teleportation circles, or do we skip that? I mean, well, 
I'd say hit it at least. I mean, to explain what I didn't necessarily, why I give the game a six. Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. Is that the reason why, or is it the constant? This was the game you've alluded to in the past, where one of the PCs constantly tackled. Yeah. Or grappled, grappled, <laughs> grapple, I should grapple. say. Yes, grapple. Yeah. Every bad guy in the game. Yeah, I forget yeah. that was this game. <laughs> yeah. I may need to revise my score. I mean, so, yeah. so, Brian, t- take, take it away, man. So, again, Jason, our buddy Jason, who we love. I've known Jason literally my entire life. Literally my entire life. We were next door neighbors growing up, and he's older than I am. So, literally, as long as I've been alive, he's more like family. Um, And and Jason moved back from Portland. It's like, hey, great. You know, Jason's here. We've developed this love for RPGs. Let's involve Jason. We all love Jason. It's win-win. Jason doesn't necessarily like RPGs. He doesn't like the roleplay part. I think he thinks it's silly. Um, and he doesn't take it seriously. Not not like we do. And uh, he basically just... He was bored, and he did what he could to uh, entertain himself. Whether it's make crass jokes, which we do. We do. Quite but, a bit. But it's more than just the crass jokes. And, you know, he found a mechanic that he liked to play... It's kind of like playing a fighting game and playing, like, if you're playing Tekken and you play Eddie Gordo and you just mash buttons. He effectively mashes buttons while he RPGs. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, and that button mashing is grappling. Or, or he, which game was it that he decided that he wanted to, he was a necromancer, and yeah. he basically uh, Cle- cleared the entire dungeon with just his necromantic fiends. Yes, yeah. that was the Tower of Waiting. Yes, which the we have RPG. talked about. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, yeah, Jason basically button mashes his way through this, and it's not necessarily the most enjoyable for everyone else at the table. So, yes, every every encounter he wanted to grapple the enemy. Every single every single encounter. Um, do you want to tell the teleportation circle, or do you want me to? Yeah, you do it. All right. This is actually out out of this dare I call it buffoonery. Grew one of my proudest moments as a GM. Frankly, I was so proud of this moment because it elicited. I I, t- I took a, a joke, kind of a crappy joke, and I turned it into a, a device to move the plot forward. And I got a laugh from you guys, but I also got you back on track. This is one of those rare moments where I'm like. Yes, I'm becoming a good GM, finally, after years of play. <laughs> so what happened was, so I had learned the technique of sometimes I throw some of the world building to the players, right? I had you witness one of the drow use a teleportation circle. So rather than just do going pure geomorphic, pure laying tiles down, one of the tiles, again, using what I had, already had a, tele- a, a, a circle on it. Actually, two, two of them did. So I decided, right, when I lay that down, I'm going to let them, if they if they stealthily enter the tile, I'm going to let them see a drow use it with, with, a, with, a, with a word. And sure enough, they stealthily entered the tile, and a drow entered it, and he said a word, and he was whisked away. He was teleported away. And to let the players do some world building, I turned to the players, and I said, what was the word? And Jason said, taint. Yes. <laughs> so Jason said taint, and, and taint became the word. So you guys explored the tile for a bit. You investigated the teleportation circle very carefully with some detect magic and, and, and whatnot. And Jason got bored, and Jason said, 
my character stands on the circle and says, tank, 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 tank. Which, which was pretty hilarious at the time. It was. And for, I guess, our non-English speakers or people who haven't been exposed to a word, the word, that is... Let's trust. Well, and I'm just going to say, it's slang for an area of the body. Yes. It is. It is. Um, so, anyway, everyone laughed. And then I said, I said, you know what? I, this happened. He, he, he moved his mini. He said the word. I'm not going to be like, oh, ha, ha, funny joke, but you didn't really do that, right? Nope. I turned to the other players and I said, you see his character wink in and out of existence. And instantly the laughter, the volume went way up. The volume of the laughter doubled. Everyone's dying laughing. And I tell Jason, as you blink in and out of existence, here's what you see. You go to another room and you see two drow facing away from you. And then you disappear when you say Tan again. Then and you see your and you see your, your fellow party. Then you're back with the drow and they're turned most of the way towards you. And then you're back with the guys. And then you see them turned all the way towards you with their mouths agape. <laughs> And then I had him roll to see, I couldn't remember how many taints he had said, I had him roll to see if it was an odd number or an even number, and to see where he wound up. And I let him know, now they know you're coming. So he failed forward. He made the situation worse because this was the first time you guys had a tile where they know you're coming, and they might go run for help. Yep. Because of some, you know, buffoonery. But I was proud because you laughed. I was proud because I took the joke and ran with it. And I was proud because I, I, I moved the game forward. So, Brian, I'm sure you were frustrated, but it, it's one of my prouder moments. So you redirected things in a way, and I, and I appreciate that. It, it's good facilitation skills. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think that may be a very important lesson to continue remembering in our in our current games, right? Because we, we do have quite a bit of buffoonery, especially in Pathfinder. There is an extraordinary amount of buffoonery. And I'm not sure if we took advantage of all the opportunities to, to have those consequences, right? To, to fail forward from some of that buffoonery. So that may be something to keep an eye out for as we progress. Mm. So what's the lesson in a succinct form there? Is it to, you know, craft gems from buffoonery? I, I would say so. Yeah, I like that. Ooh, how about, you know, rather than craft gems, that's, that's a lot of stress. How about just simply leverage the buffoonery? If 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 players want to do something silly, have them have that have a real consequence, right? It doesn't always have to be negative. It could go positive depending on how they handle that, but have have actions have consequences. So let's talk about the end of of, of truly the uh, the Ninter Vale campaign. So we did the prison break game after this. And in the prison break episode, we didn't talk about this. So I'm skipping forward a bit here. After the prison break, so well actually, I'm sorry, before the prison break. Let's talk about why you had to escape from prison. <laughs> Gentlemen, this is one of our wipes. Mm-hmm. Yep. They don't happen often, but... But the but the drow wiped you. So a part of that was I made sure that resting was scarce yep. to keep the tension high. I also, I personally ran the drow and the driders and the umberhold. I ran them mercilessly. Yep. These were smart, intelligent bad guys looking to eliminate any enemy scouts that might warn of their invasion. So I was playing them absolutely ruthlessly, and you guys wiped. Um, several of you stood in a line, and I had one of the drow wizards, 
you know, use a use a use a spell that happened to be a ray, and and caught three of you, and uh, you finished those two wizards. But then when you went up against the two priestesses of Loth, you you completely wiped on that. I think both priestesses were still up when all of you went down. That sounds right. So, how do you feel about the wipe? I think it happens. Uh, I think part of it, you know, probably was that we we weren't playing off each other's strengths. If if Jason was trying to grapple these guys at that time, then we probably deserved it. Yeah, I I can totally I can totally use like my gamer excuses here. My controller button stuck. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, Jason is, you know, my Jason's my excuse for why we failed. There you go. <laughs> so I mean, did you walk out of the game though? Downtrodden, upset. No, because the wipe. Uh, because we weren't invested in the characters yet. Now, had we been invested in the characters, if we'd been playing for like a long campaign, probably, especially if we had died. But you know, yeah. you uh, the GM, you had established that you know, hey, we made it all the way to this point. So obviously, these are some capable people. Maybe we should keep them around. Yeah, they wanted to study you. Yeah. And they saw that you weren't wearing any insignia, so they, they really wanted to get after... You know, you had taken out a bunch of them. So they were, by God, going to look into you a little bit before they killed you, and which which enabled the prison break. And I think the fact that you turned it into one of the tropes we had been wanting to play that had been on our trope list for a while, I think that ultimately turned it into a positive experience. So after the prison break, after the wipe, and then subsequently after the prison break, I gave your characters a mission which was to kill your other characters. We talked about the Dusk game where your characters, you know, some, some, some of the townspeople were charmed by the vampires and you, you took up arms against the townspeople and some of them died. And the town never quite got over being super upset about that. And I had your characters get hired to kill your characters. Yep. And I thought that was such an interesting hook because I told you guys, you can play either side of this. And we seemed excited about it, and then we never followed up on it. That's true. No, nope. why didn't we follow up on it? Why didn't we ever? Why didn't we ever play that out? That's a really good question. Did we just hop to a new system? We uh, didn't we play a bunch of one shots? That's basically what, yeah. After- we started the one shots because you guys just had no appetite to actually do this. Man, what was wrong with us? Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, we never established, I guess, who we would play as. I I left it to you guys. Yeah. Which, which apparently is a recurring mistake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. Um, you know, I have a feeling it would. I I find it hard for the characters that we had just played. I find it hard to, in my heart of hearts, to think that they could possibly take on the characters we had been playing. But that's just a matter of, I guess, balancing out the the characters. I think it depends on how good your plan was. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um. Even though I was very partial to that character that I played, which was Mike's character, funny enough, Malkior, uh, I, I, I did love playing that character. I probably I probably would want to play the character I played in this game just to just to, maybe for closure, because if I were if I was capable of, you know, defeating him or those characters, um, I could probably feel a little better about never returning to them because I've even said before I would totally be fine with returning to those characters now it surprises me that you wouldn't want to return to those characters because it's, it's interesting either way you either play as your old characters and you get word that there's this this anti-party out to assassinate you and you got to watch out for that or 
you play as your new characters and you're out to assassinate I mean, some it, very powerful and anti-party is cool and all but if i was playing as the new character that i had no attachment if i was playing as malkior against these new characters that i had no attachment to in reality i wouldn't feel any differently than i would just playing any other against any other powerful character but there would actually be some emotion involved if i was playing the anti-party and going against these characters that i love I could see that I would I would have a hard time putting myself into the mindset of the anti-party killing off the character that I was attached to that I had spent a lot of time into. Yeah, I can't see you killing Gygax, Mike. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I mm. here's the thing. Here's the thing. What I want to know, but would it be more interesting? Yes. Yeah. And and that's what makes it hard, right? Do I? I don't know. My gut feels as there's there's something wrong here. Like we might do this, and then Brian might be like, you know. That's closure on RPGs forever for me. <laughs> <laughs> at, this po- at, at this point, I wouldn't care. Back then, I could have seen that. Back back then, back then it would have been it would have been different because I I felt that character. But now I could just roll a new paladin and I would be fine. Yeah. So let's let's review some lessons learned, and then I want to talk a little bit about the fact that it's episode fifty before we close out. So the lessons that we talked about that we learned. One was. Leverage the buffoonery. Yep. One that I sort of talked about but didn't crystallize for you guys is use what you have. I had these dungeon tiles. They already had these different room layouts. Oh, the, the treasure. Some tiles had treasure on them. And for those, I let you guys roll. I had I had a 1d6 roll with different treasures, you know, a, a heal potion, um, some silver, some copper, some gold. But... You know, use what you have. If you have these tiles, use these tiles. If you have some other maps, use the other maps. But if you use what you have and you base your game around it, oh, it really cuts down on your prep. It, it minimizes prep so much, and it lets you get over what's a problem for me, which is focusing on the visuals. You get over that because those are established. And then you get to focus on the fun part, which is actually coming up with a neat mechanic or an interesting gimmick that makes the session fun and different. So, so so far, Mike, we have leverage the buffoonery. We have use what you have. Actions have consequences, but that's almost too much like leverage the buffoonery. Mm. Don't be a buffoon in the first place. Anything to learn from the wipe? Wipes happen. <laughs> wipes happen, and they can have positive consequences on the overall game. It doesn't necessarily have to be yeah, wipe, the end of a campaign. A wipe doesn't have to be the end of a campaign. Okay. So wipes don't have to end a campaign. I think we leave it there. But let's talk about the fact that, guys, can you believe this is the 50th one of these that we've done? It's crazy. It is crazy. I've well, 50th for me and Brian. Mike, it's like 40 for you. Eh, what's a few between <laughs> friends? Yeah, I have to say, though, uh, because it is the 50th, I've really enjoyed doing this. It's, it's a chance to see each other, like, not at work. You know, obviously, we're friends outside of work. But for the most part, since we work together... Most of the time when we see each other is walking through the hall. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we don't we don't work together in the same department, but we do pass each other in the hallway quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I was actually walking into an interview to interview somebody, and I said to the guy, there he is, and Dusty walked by, and he thought I was talking to him, and I'm like, well, there he is, too. <laughs> so that, was, that, was, that happened a couple weeks ago. That was pretty funny. So 50. So we're coming up on 52. And uh, 52, I think that that's going to round out our fiscal year. So our fiscal year of RPG LL 
we need to do something special for episode 52. What do you guys want to do? That's a really good question. I, I like the idea of, so we talk about postmortems, and you do a postmortem, um, we're doing postmortems on these games, but I think every physical year, or every year, we should do a postmortem on the last year. What we've learned, what how how's the show progressed, um, how has our gaming progressed? I think there's a lot that we could glean from, I mean, we are not static people. Uh, we change, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Sometimes we just change for change change's sake, and it just it just happens. Um, I think I think looking back at the the last year of the show and maybe the last year of our games, it would be pretty fun. So lessons learned on the show, like uh, what uh, makes for an engaging episode, what makes for even, a boring not, episode. Not even that. Not even I think I think it's more open than that. I think we could talk about the show, maybe the game, some of the games we talked about, and I think maybe some just exciting things that might have happened in our gaming in the last year. Not have to go into major details, not you know, something, you know, spoilers for a whole episode, but we could talk maybe, oh, well, you know, how this, uh, maybe for epi- for our second year re- review, we talk about how um, we had a, an especially awesome moment during our East Texas University game. I know one topic I want to bring up. When do you think you're going to GM, Brian? Oh. Uh, yeah, great. That's a good one. I like that. I really want to do it this year. I just need to get started on it. I think it's less work than you think. Yeah, And I think that you going through the process of figuring out how to GM your first game sort of live with us might help any players out there who are Ooh, I love that listening and considering GMing but afraid of it. It might help them out. Yeah, so here's the thing, and we'll get into this. I'll just spoilers for whatever for whatever a show is. I have no problem talking. I have no problem talking in front of people I don't know. I have no problem talking in front of people I don't know and sounding stupid, again, because that's my job. But I do... I am a little nervous about standing in front of you guys and sounding stupid. I think you'll be fine. We'll see. All right. Let's close it out there. Thank you for listening to RPG Lessons Learned, episode 50. 50. 50. All right. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned. And we're sharing ours with you.